We ask you, God, to touch us today with strength, with clarity. Touch us today, O Lord, with the gifting that you've gifted us with and the anointing that you've empowered us with. I ask you that your word would work its work today in our hearts and lives. I pray in the strong name of Jesus, whose I am and who I serve. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. Fruitfulness is the intention of God for every child of God that's born of the Spirit. God intends for you to be fruitful. And the fact that he feels so strongly about that, that when traveling one day, he met a fig tree that was unproductive. He went over to it to actually refresh himself with the fruit. And when he saw that it had no figs on it and had no fruit on it, the Bible said that he cursed the fig tree. And the next day when the disciples came that same path, they found that thing had withered up and died away. You see, the Lord wants us to take advantage of every opportunity that we have to make a contribution to the kingdom of God. You see, that tree was planted there. Yeah, it was put there for a purpose, to refresh people who were going along that that way. And it had the opportunity. It was in the right place. It just had no fruit to give. You see, God gets glory out of our lives when we have fruit to give. And he intends for us to be fruitful. In fact, in the beginning, the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, verse 1, Genesis. And the Bible said he created all those things for five days and the sixth day, the second chapter, the eighth verse, the Bible said, let us make man in our own image and after the image and the likeness of God created he him. And the tenth verse said, and God planted a garden and put man in it. You mean God prepared a place for man to enjoy everything. At that time, there was no sin. There was no death. There was no pain. There was no sorrow. There was no heartache. There was no dread, worry, or fear. There was nothing that could harm any of us. And our federal head, as we call him, in Adam, the Bible said, as in Adam, all die. Because Adam committed an atrocious sin, what we call the original sin. And it separated us with God. Sin always separates. Sin always divides. Sin always hurts. Sin always destroys. And when our experience was that we were driven from the place where God planted us, and we were driven from the place of his presence, the place of his provision, then the Bible said he drove us out from that garden. It's interesting that God has worked through gardens, isn't it? That it all began in a garden, and I want to tell you it will all end in a garden. And in between two gardens, there's another garden, and it's called a Garden of Gethsemane. And there was a Savior who prayed a prayer, not my will, but thine be done. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But if it's not possible, Lord, then thy will, not mine, but thy will be done. It was in that garden that salvation was secured for every one of us. It was in that garden that the Lord Jesus took upon himself the sin of the whole world. And he prayed until his sweat became as great drops of blood, the Bible said. Surely Isaiah saw that suffering and said the iniquity of us all was placed upon him. He was a man of sorrows and a man of grief. And surely he hath borne our sorrows and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed. A substitutionary, vicarious death it was, but the decision was made in a garden. I want to tell you there's going to come a time, the Bible said, when John told Jesus told John the revelator, he said, Behold, I make all things new. Amen. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, for the former things have passed away. What he was saying was, What I started in the garden I will accomplish, praise God, in a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. What was lost in the garden was regained in the revelation. What was lost in the garden was regained at Calvary's cross, What we lost in Adam, we 
recapitulated in the Lord Jesus. That's called the doctrine of recapitulation. Irenaeus was the one that started preaching that stuff a long time and one of my favorite of all the church fathers, Irenaeus. And he preached that what was lost in Adam was recapitulated in the Lord Jesus. For what we lost in Adam, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. So what a marvelous thing it is that God works through gardens and that God plants us and puts us in places where he wants us to be. In Matthew chapter 7, there's a beautiful piece of scripture. It's about this fruit bearing and it's about this knowing that we're in the will of God. For if you're in the will of God, there will be some fruit in your life that will identify you as a person that is in the will of God. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, he said, Ye shall know them by their fruits. You shall know the character of people's hearts by the fruit that is in their life. Wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? No. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now, we're introduced here to the concept that there's two kind of trees. Two kind of trees and two kind of fruits, right? There's a good tree that bears good fruit and there is a corrupt tree that bears evil fruit. It's actually this, this thing of the flesh versus the spirit that we see such vividly drawn out for us in the book of Romans, when the Bible said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And it goes on to tell us that they that are of the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit, but they that are of the Spirit uh, flesh mind the things of the flesh. And he says, so then, brethren, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his Son. In the likeness of sin, condemned sin, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And then he makes a bold statement. For they that are of the flesh cannot please God. If it's a corrupt tree bearing evil fruit, it cannot, cannot please God. And then he gives this great, great declaration. But you are not of the flesh, brethren, if so be that the Spirit of God be in you. And if the Spirit of God be in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So this fruit is either good fruit or it's evil fruit. We're either a, a, a good tree or we're a corrupted tree, an, an evil tree. And he introduces that to us in verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do not gather grapes of thorns or, or figs out of thistles. For even so, he says, every good tree that bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot, somebody say cannot. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. In other words, it's not within the ability of human flesh to produce Christian character. Did anybody get that? It is not within the ability of human flesh to produce Christian character. It is a production of the Spirit. Paul said, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the energy that feeds your life determines what kind of tree you are. I said the energy that feeds your life determines the kind of tree you are. What's being put in is what comes out. Come on. The Bible said that men think that by drinking or eating, Jesus said that's not. What goes into the body is not the thing that pollutes. What comes out is what pollutes. It's terrible for us 
to have the intention of being a good tree, but then have evil fruit to be on our branches. Somebody say amen, that's good preaching. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Wow. So God's intention is either we produce fruit or get burned. Come on, is, is this thing on? So God expects us then to produce good fruit. Victor, God expects us to, where we're planted, he expects us to blossom and expects us to be a representative of him, an advertisement, if you please, for his goodness and his greatness. Every one of you confessed a while ago, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. Well, I can hear you say that, but can other people around you know that? Does your speech, does your behavior, does it tell a story of God's goodness to you and God's greatness in your life? God longs for you to produce good fruit. By producing good fruit, he's talking about spiritual fruit. What kind of spiritual fruit is there? Galatians 5 gives it to us. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, long-suffering, patience, faith, temperance. Those nine graces, if I read this right, are mandatory. They're not optional. If our tree does not have those fruit on it, then he said that tree needs to be burned up because it's occupying ground that God could get glory out of another tree. Come on, somebody. That God, God would say to us, I, I would that you'd be hot or cold, but because you're neither, God doesn't want us to straddle the fence. He doesn't want us to be mediocre. He doesn't want us to be mundane and ordinary and status quo. He wants us to be a good representation of God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy. Goodness, good fruit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, meekness. Wow, who wouldn't want that in your life? Who wouldn't want that to be a part of who you are and, and, and what you do? Amen. Did you know in Titus chapter 3, I believe it is, in verse 14, he identifies what those good works are. He tells us that, that fruit in our life are good good things that we do to illustrate to those around us that God has fruit in our life, that we are people who know the Lord and, and produce fruit. And that great passage in John chapter 15 begins like this. First verse, I am the true vine. You are branches. Branch and vine Fruitfulness means what blossoms and comes to a usefulness attached to the strength of a vine or a tree. Wow. Because of our attachment to Jesus, there are good things that grow in our lives. And here's something. The quality and the quantity of the fruit is representative of the vine from which it draws strength. What does that mean? That means that I ought to have fruit that represents the love of Jesus. That means if Jesus is the vine and I'm a branch, then I should have fruit on my branch that resembles the vine from which I draw my life. Is this making any sense to anybody? If I get my life from the vine who is Jesus, then the goodness that characterized Jesus' life should be a part of my life. I should have those ornaments on my life, those identifying characteristics on my life. He said, every branch in me that beareth fruit, he said, the Father prunes it. That seems to be backwards, doesn't it? We prefer that he'd cut on branches that don't bear fruit and get those lazy, passive people started. But whacking on them won't work, he said. What? 
If a tree isn't bearing fruit, don't waste your time pruning that one. Come on. He said the only one he's interested in pruning is the one that is already bearing fruit. Why? That it might bear more fruit. God's will for you is more. God's desire for you is more. More peace. More joy. More love. More gentleness, more meekness, more long-suffering, more goodness, more temperance, more faith, more fruit. And he only prunes you because he wants you to have more. He wants you to be more. He wants you to be prosperous. But he doesn't waste time whittling around on a branch that has no intention of being fruitful in the first place. But he eventually says, he said, just be patient and it'll die. What? He said it'll die. If it doesn't bear fruit, it will eventually just die and men will come around and pick it up and throw it in the fire and use it for fuel. You mean what God intended for me to be good and blessed can become fodder for a fire if I don't use the talents and the gifts and the abilities and the anointing that God gives me? That's exactly what I'm saying to you. Every branch in me that bears fruit, the Father prunes. You know, why does God prune the fruit in our, or the branch that bears good fruit? So it'll bear more. How does he go about that? You see, sometimes God is so good to us, like Brandon preached last Sunday, that we get to the place we, we love the blessing more than we love the blesser. It's easy to be very complacent and passive when you're blessed by God. It's easy to become that hog under the tree that never looks up. It's easy for us to just go about compliance and passivity and go on a status quo and not be aware of where all of that is coming from. And you'll hear people make, say, I worked hard for what I got. Well, don't forget, God gave you the strength and the energy and the mind to do that. And that's a gift that God gave. Come on, somebody. Well, I don't think that little old Social Security guy, the card I get is from God. Well, you better think again. If your God is the United States government, you really better think again. You better get your hopes on things eternal. You better get your sight on things that are not seen. You better get your appreciation level ratcheted up because there's a God, the Bible said, who freely giveth us all things. He freely giveth us all things richly to enjoy. Everything God gives us is a gift of his grace, a gift of his favor, a gift out of his nature, which is love. And so then he says, when he prunes that tree, he, he wants to know something. It's all about growing, and it's all about, about more fruit and much fruit. And he says, if I, if, I, if I trim some of that fruit away, would you still serve me? Would you still love me? Would you stay attached to the vine, even if I took away some of the things that I've blessed you with in the past? Would you still have an attitude of worship? Would you still love me as Lord of your life? Would you still support my church? Would you still support evangelism and reaching souls? Would you still support what the kingdom of God, work of God is all about? Would you still be a part of that? If I took away some of those blessings, would I still be Lord That's part of that pruning process, you know, because he prunes branches that are fruitful, not unfruitful, but the ones that are fruitful. And his intention is so that you'll bear more. But sometimes that pruning process, and the Bible says that any person who's never gone through that is an illegitimate son or daughter. If you've never had the pruning in your life, then you might ought to check up because you might not be a child of God. Because the Bible said, whom the Lord loves, 
He chastens whom the Lord loves. And the Bible said there is not one person that has not wiggled under the chastising lash of the Father. Every one of us. And if anyone claims to be a son of God and has never experienced the chastisement from the Lord, then he's an illegitimate child and not a son. Hello, one, two, one, two. Well, that's, that's tough stuff. The point is I want you to understand God wants you to be fruitful. And then when he gets on over to about that 14th and 15th verse, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I've chosen you. And he said, being as you've come through that pruning process and you're like Job, all the wealth was taken away. All that he gloried in, his wealth, his prosperity, all that, th- all that was taken away. And he did not buckle. And he did not give in. But he stood firm. And he said, I know in whom I have believed. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. Though I can't feel him. Have you ever gone through a time when you couldn't feel him? I have. I can't find him. I searched for him, he said, on my right hand. I searched for him on my left hand where he always has been. And he wasn't there. But though I cannot feel him, the Lord knows the way that I have taken. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see... In everybody in this house, there's a garden in your heart. And there's a tree in every heart, every garden of life in this room. It's either one or two. There's either a tree of faith or there's a tree of doubt and fear. Did you hear this, Pastor? You see, if you go the way of faith, and you take a stand for faith, then all things are possible to that person that believes. You see into the invisible world and you lay hold upon things that are not yet, but you treat them as if they are already. You grasp by faith, your mind's eye can see into another world, another dimension, and you lay hold upon promises and you speak of them as if they already are. But if that tree of doubt and worry and anxiety and fear and frustration is in your heart, in the garden of your heart, then there's nothing but dread and and frustration that goes on. What do I need to do, Pastor? Uproot that dead tree. Ask God to plant another tree in your heart. Get rid of that unproductive tree that sits there with its ugly bare limbs year after year of nothingness. And when you get tired of that and you say, God, I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of having no fruit on my branches. I'm tired of meeting dead ends. I'm tired of working and seeing no result. I'm tired of seeking after peace and love and joy and I don't find it. God, I need you to do a transplant in me. I need you to uproot this root of bitterness and get this bitterness out of me and put a tree inside me that will produce good things. How many of you know Psalm 1? Two? Three? Boy, I thought we was going to vote that one out for a minute. Blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the man who standeth not in the way of sinners. Sitteth not in the seat of the scorner. But his delight, his delight, his delight, the joy of his life, the joy of his heart is the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree, like a tree planted. When something is planted, it didn't just happen to grow there. 
When something is planted, it's there on purpose. When something is planted, it's put in that position for a reason. He's planted, planted, planted by what? By the river. Because when drought comes, and when other trees are drying up and their leaves are falling up off and everybody's saying, my, ain't it bad? This tree's got green leaves on it and this tree's looking good and this tree is stout and its branches haven't died and, and broken off and become ugly looking. They're their leaves, it puts forth leaves in its season. It, it bears fruit in its season. Woo. That tree, that's the kind of tree that the Lord wants us all to be. Well, I've got to preach this. Help me preach this. In Luke chapter 13, let me just get on over there to it and read that parable. It's verse 13 and 6. And he spake this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. This is Jesus talking. I'm just the messenger. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. What's that feeling I feel? Is that called conviction? I guess it is. It's what I felt when I read this. He came and sought fruit thereon, and he found none. And then he said something to the dresser of this vineyard. Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it? the ground. Buddy, I would say we've got a pretty angry vineyard owner. He got a bad plant. He went to Lowe's and thought he was getting better boys and it turned out to be a dud. I planted a fig tree. I thought by now three years that we'd have figs on that thing. But year after year, I come and examine it, and year after year, it looks good. It's got a sturdy trunk. The root system is good. The branches look strong and, and supportive. The leaves are really, really pretty on this thing. But the problem is no fruit. No fruit. What a disappointment. What a disappointment. The very one reason that you planted the thing for and it doesn't happen. Connor, if you're here, you better come help me preach. They're going to throw a rock at me in a minute. Listen to what he says. He says to them, cut it down. Why cumbereth? Why should we let something take the space of another that might be fruitful? Why let it cumber the ground? Why, why let it take up space? It's never going to be any good. Now I want to tell you, there are folks that talk about folks like that. I've had folks come to me and say, oh, he's just an old drunk. He'll always be an old drunk, Brother Jerry. He'll die like he lives. Well, don't give up so quick. I've seen God turn around some pretty bad characters. I've seen God do a translation out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. I, I've seen him change some pretty vile personalities in my time. I've seen God take a life that was destitute and despondent and desperate and change it for good and empowered, put fruit on those vines. Don't give up so quick. This guy said, hey, cut the thing down, kill it, get it out of my vineyard. I don't want it there anymore. Now notice here some things. Notice where it was. Where was it? In a vineyard. I want to tell you, when God plants, He puts you in a place of safety, puts you in a place of security, He puts you in a place of care, He puts you in a place of protection. That plant wasn't just sticking out in the wild somewhere. When God planted it, God put it in a vineyard. He put it in a place. 
Hey, God put you in a church for a reason. God put you in a place where you could get some nutrients, praise God, where you could come and be fed and be blessed, where there's a water supply. Planted it in a vineyard. In a vineyard, there were actually people that were charged to take care of that tree. There were people that patrolled around and looked at that tree every day to see what it needed. There were people that took care of it. There were people that cared about it. There were people that attended to it. There were people that made sure that nothing came to harm or or endanger that tree. They were charged. It was their job to do just that, take care of this tree. It was in a vineyard. But the problem, wait a minute, the problem was with all that care, all that attention, no fruit. Still no fruit. And the man said, cut it down, build a fire with it, do whatever you want to with it. Let's just get another plant and put it in its place because that one's taking up space. It's encumbering the ground. But thank God for some dresser. I don't even know his name. It just says he's a dresser. I don't know if he wore Hart Shafter and Marks or if he wore Hickey Freeman or whatever, but he was a dresser. Come on, that's a pitiful joke. You can at least go, ugh. Bad joke. He was a dresser. That means he, he cared for things in the garden. And he was a gardener. He, he was hired by the owner of the vineyard to take care of it. And listen to what the one who said, He'd do if he's taking care. He said, hey, don't do that. Let's don't give up on this tree. Let's don't, let's don't count this tree out. Let's don't just throw it away. Let's don't just burn it. Let's don't just cut it down. Let me work with it. First, he said, let me dig around it. Are you seeing that up? What did he say he wanted to do? What was his first thing he wanted to do? Dig. The ground is too hard. That might be why no fruit is on the vine is the ground is too hard. Break up the fallow ground, the prophet said. Break up, get the plow out. Break that old hardness up. Could it be that hardness, hardness, harshness, callousness, is keeping you from being productive? He said, let me dig around a little bit. Hey, you ever had anybody dig around you? It may be that word of sarcasm would have been some digging around you. Might have been that criticism when you really didn't deserve it. But there's some digging going on around you might have been something that happened that wasn't your fault and you got blamed for it wrongfully. might have been some digging going on because you know what happens when you get dug around, when you get broke up? Anybody ever been broke up? i put your silly little hand up. You Broke up. Broke up. Have you ever been broken up? And when you get broken up, what do you do? You go somewhere and say, Oh, God. Please help me, God. Lord, I need a touch of your presence. I need a touch of your spirit. You go to the Word. You start reading the Word of God. You gain strength in the Word of God. And you start little by little advancing and getting better. Hey, digging's good for you. Digging around is good for you. Anybody been dug on? Hey, I asked someone out here at drive through prayer this last week, said, we've had two or three people, Pastor, this week have turned around and come back, said the Lord turned them around. You know what happened? That little sign got to digging. I said, that little sign that said drive through prayer got to digging. And somebody said, hey, let me turn around here. Let me turn around, go back. I hope that God would use sermons that are preached in this pulpit to dig somebody up. I would hope that when this praise team sings, they'd sing some songs anointed by the Spirit of God that'll dig some people up, that'll break up some hardness, that'll cause them to realize, hey, I want some fruit on my vine. Second thing the dresser said, 
said, let me put some water on it. Well, that's not there, but we know every day that in a garden what happens, don't you? If not, go around Walmart in the morning at 7.05 or 7.10 and you'll see watering of the plants. Because they know to keep them alive, you've got to put some water on it. You know what water is symbolic of in the Bible? The Spirit, for out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. You know what water is symbolic of? Not just the Spirit, but the Word of God. The Bible said the Lord God sanctify you uh, entirely by the washing of water and by the Word. Praise God. Water and Word, water and Spirit. Now you just can't live without it. If you're a tree and you want to have some fruit, the Word of God and the Spirit of God are two things you can't do without. In fact, you need both in large amounts. Large amounts of the Word of God. Large amounts of the Spirit of God. And here's one more. And I saved it to the last because it's the nastiest. It's the worst. Put it back up there. He said, let me fertilize it. Let me fertilize it. As Brother Fincher would say, fertilizer. Fertilizer. He don't put the middle fertilizer. He says, fertilizer. We need to go up there and get some fertilizer. Well, I want to tell you something. Back in biblical days, there was not a Monsanto. And back in biblical days, there wasn't a DuPont. There wasn't people that miracle grow. There wasn't one. If I offend you, I apologize beforehand, okay? The fertilizer they had was what you find in chicken houses after they pick up the chickens. We used to talk about how going by the exit down there where the poop place was, you could smell it for a mile either way down the inner. Hey, hey, there's no way to be nice about it. It stinks. And it really stinks. It don't just stink, it stinks. It's messy. It's not just a little bit messy. It's a whole lot messy. We'll be nice and call it manure. See, some of that stuff that you're calling manure that you're having to put up with, God realizes your lack of fruitfulness needs some nutrients and some fertilizer. But it stinks. It really stinks. What's going on in my life you can't believe the manure that's going on in my life. You can't believe all the manure I have to shovel every day. Come on, somebody. God may have some of that stinky, ugly, smelly, slimy stuff going on in your life to transform you and get you to a place that you're not just an old limb hanging out there with nothing, no sign of life about it. God may have some of that stuff that's so offensive to you that's going on in your life right now to try to condition you and change you and shape you and mold you and get you to a place where He can make you productive. Now, I know you don't want to hear that. I didn't want to preach it. I'd rather preach while you shout. I like for you to shout. But sometimes I have to preach to you to tell you 
some things that we need to do to be better. To be better. To be better. Jeremiah's got a verse in the 17th chapter and it says, Blessed is that person whose hope is in the Lord God. You see, if your hope is in the Lord God, not in some institution of man's wisdom, not some super duper whooper whopper gizmo gadget, but your hope is in the power of God. If you're kept by the power of God, if the love of God constrains you and motivates you, if the happiest day of your life is spent during devotion time, I hear folks say sometimes, well, so let me run up here and do my devotion right quick so we can get on. Oh, Lord of mercy. Devotion time should be the most important time. Tell you one more, and I'll go, I promise. When I was a young pastor, my Wednesday night folks knows this story well. There was a little lady in the church in Piedmont, Alabama. Her name was Ellen Hall. She is 80-something years old. Yes, she was slow. She would be probably the last person to get down to the altar area when the church prayed, Brother Mark. And she'd usually be the last one to leave the altar area when the church prayed. I went over one day to her house. It was hot and she and her son Charlie was sitting there and she said, Brother Jerry, would you like a Coke? And I said, sure. So she goes off in the kitchen and she brings one back and she sits it down on the coffee table. And I, I said, uh, where's yours? She said, oh, I don't drink them. I said, you don't drink them? I said, I'm sorry. She said, no, no, no. She said, uh, that's, that's me and me and my relationship with the Lord said I'll go get you another one when you finish that one we've got plenty of them in the refrigerator Charlie drinks them all the time I said well why do you not drink one she said there was a time when I really wanted something from God I really needed God to do something and said I told the Lord that I would do without that and never have another one if he'd grant me that request that I was praying him about and said and the Lord gave me that and said, it's my privilege now, my pleasure to do what I said I would do. Wow. She had a neighbor next door, a young lady that had a, had a baby. And the little baby, one morning when the lady woke up, went in to check on the baby, it wasn't breathing. SIDS, I think they call that, sudden infant death syndrome. She grabbed that baby up and she ran next door and said, Miss Hall, Miss Hall, Miss Hall, this baby has died. And Ellen Hall who can't read her name in boxcar letters, took that baby in her arms and she said, God, in the name of Jesus. And immediately that child caught its breath and began squirming in her arms. You see, I'm not talking about an experiment. I'm talking about a reality. I'm not talking about some fanciful thing. I'm talking about how God wants to decorate your life with the fruit of love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness. How God wants to put such incidents as that right there in your life. Amen. Why? Because they that whose hope is in the Lord, when He becomes all you got, He'll be all you need. Stand with me. I know many of you, many of you are on my prayer list that I pray for every day. I know the burden that you carry. I know it's tough. I know 
but you're in very serious hand-to-hand spiritual combat. You're living in a combat zone. I know. I know. But faithful. Somebody say faithful. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I said he'll do it. I said he will do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. My good friend, E.J. Reynolds, that mentored me so many years ago, and much of my preaching and what I am today, I owe a lot of that to E.J. Reynolds. He now has dementia. When I go to see him, he doesn't know me. He's got a house full of kids that he raised to love the Lord. Six kids. He doesn't know them anymore. He was pastor in Alabama City over in Gadsden. He's about to go to the pulpit to preach one Sunday morning. And his daughter, Rhonda, had run away from home two years earlier. He didn't know where she was, didn't know what had come of her. He hadn't heard a word from her, Drew, in two years. He told God while he's kneeling at his couch, he said, God, I can't go to that pulpit today and tell people that God can do anything that God has. I don't know where Rhonda is. I haven't heard from her in two years. But you know where she is, and you know if she's alive or dead. And he said, as sure as you're standing right there, he said, God spoke to him. And he said, go to the phone. At that time, he said, get an overseas operator and call Barcelona, Spain. Call Wendy's in Barcelona, Spain. From Gadsden, Alabama, that pastor went to the telephone, picked up the phone, got an overseas operator and said, I want to speak to someone at Wendy's in Barcelona, Spain. He was connected to Wendy's and someone answered the phone. And he said, sir, is there there someone there named Rhonda Reynolds? He said, no, there's nobody here. I'm the manager of this place. And he said, there's nobody here at this time. It's before opening. He said, we, we haven't even opened yet. He said, well, would you go outside and see if there's anybody there by that name? And that manager walked out on the sidewalk And down that sidewalk came walking a tall, blonde-headed girl. And that manager said, Young lady, is your name Rhonda Reynolds? And she said, Yes, it is. (laughs) Said, Your daddy's on the phone, wants to talk to you. You think God doesn't know where... You are. You think God's lost you? You think God doesn't know? You think God doesn't feel? You think God's not aware? I want to tell you, He knows. I said, He knows. Our Heavenly Father knows. He knows all about your sorrow. He knows all about your pain. Take the hand of that person beside you. The Bible said, pray ye one for another. The Bible said, pray one for another that you may be healed. I believe there's some healing in the house I said, I believe there's some healing in the house. I believe there's healing in the house. The Bible said he binds up all of our brokenness, all of our wounds. He heals all of our wounds. The Bible did not say them that preach shall lay hands upon the sick. The Bible said he that believes. If you believe today that God can do anything, I want you to pray for that person whose hand you're now holding. God, in Jesus' name, I come to you for my friends. I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this house. I pray for people, O Lord, that are going through difficulties, people that are experiencing tough things. Their heart is broken. Their their nerves are at, at their wit's end. They're frazzled. God, they've done all they know to do. They're doing their very best just to stand stand the test. God, in Jesus' name, God, in the name of Jesus, in that name that's above every name, God, would you come on the scene and would you direct the affairs and touch hearts? 
God, would you move today in the lives of people that need your touch? Lay your hand upon them, oh God. Let the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit do a work, oh God, in their hearts right now. Touch them, oh God, right now. God, in Jesus' name, stretch down your long arm and your outstretched arm and your mighty hand. God, I pray that you'd speak to those unconverted souls. God, that you would send conviction upon those unconverted ones. God, that you would send a spirit, put a hedge, oh God, around them, oh Lord. Cause them to realize that they need to become a Christian and a servant of God, a lover of Jesus. God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd touch hurting hearts. Those, oh Lord, that need healing, I pray in Jesus' name right now that you'd let a a balm of Gilead be applied to their heart. God, encourage their spirit, lift their hearts and help them to know, God, today that you're at work in their lives. Those unproductive, unfruitful things, oh God, that are going on, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you'd uproot all of those unfruitful things and replace them, God, with fruit-bearing things. Put things in our life, God, that will be fruit-bearing, that'll help us, Lord, to honor you and love you and serve you as the God of our lives. We love you, God. We're the people of your hand. We're the sheep of your pastor. And we love you, God. We love you, God. Nevertheless, God is good. Nevertheless, God is good. Thank you, Jesus. 30 seconds of your best praise you can give. 30 seconds of the best you got. Best you got. Come on, best you got. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Bless our God. Praise his name. God, we lift you up. We worship you. We adore you, God. Lord of our lives, God, we bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. We praise your name. We glorify you, God. We lift you up. We exalt your name on high. Praise our God. 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 And now may the communion of the Holy Spirit and the love of our Father God abide with you all as you depart from this place in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Shake hands and be friendly. Be friendly whether you shake hands or not.